the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tara News. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Bible teacher put it this way. He says, there's there's not a more appalling description possible than that. You cannot imagine a worse state than that. Does such a creature deserve anything? Has such a creature any right at all in the presence of God? Can he come forward with a plea or with a demand? What is this appalling description? It's the state each of us is in or was in before God gave us new life. Paul described it in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He said, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's a grim situation, but it makes those words to come all the more precious. Verse 4 begins with, But God. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are nearing the conclusion of a series of lessons about the power of God in salvation. Our text is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and we have now come to those famous words recorded in verses 8 through 10. There are people who claim that verses 8 and 9 indicate a partnership in salvation in which God provides the grace and we provide the faith. But the Apostle makes it quite clear in these verses that God provides both. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians 2. Here's Pastor Steve. We have come to what is without doubt one of the most well-known passages in the Bible. In fact, it ranks right up there with John 3, 16, Psalm 23, In terms of being familiar with it, people being familiar with it, and and also in terms of having it memorized, this is one of those passages that most Christians have memorized. And the passage I'm referring to, the verses I'm referring to, is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. I want us to see it in its setting, the verses leading up to it, though we will focus on verses 8 through 10 tonight. Paul writes, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his Great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Now, for the last several months, we have been studying these verses, and we have made several, I think, significant observations and discoveries about them. First of all, we noted that these verses were not given by the Apostle Paul to evangelize the Ephesians. This is not an evangelistic message by Paul. That's not his goal. The Ephesians were already Christians. Paul had already done the work of evangelizing them. He's not trying to do that again. They didn't need to hear the gospel message again for the sake of evangelism. But what they did need to hear was an understanding of the theology behind their salvation. That's what these verses are about. It's the Apostle Paul explaining the process, the mechanism, the mechanics of their salvation. See, having told the Ephesians in chapter 1 that their salvation was due solely to God's sovereign choice, God chose them, he says, before the foundation of the world, chosen in Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Now, here in chapter 2, Paul explains to them how, in real time, they came to personally experience this salvation that they were chosen for. And he does it, as I said, by explaining the process or the mechanics, the the details whereby they can understand what God has done to bring them to himself. And in doing this, the one thing that Paul is emphasizing above all else in this passage is that in saving them, God has demonstrated his power, his might, his strength, that salvation belongs to the Lord. From beginning to end, it is he who has demonstrated his power in bringing us to himself. In other words, the credit, and this is Paul's point, the credit for their salvation from the start to the finish, all of it goes to God because it has been accomplished all by his strength, all by his power, not by anything that we have done. See, back in chapter 1, Paul says, said in verses 18 and 19, I'll paraphrase, he says that I'm praying for you, and one of the things he's praying for them is that they might understand the power of God demonstrated in their salvation. He's praying that they would understand something of this power. He illustrates it by saying it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So Paul prays for them to understand God's power in their salvation, And here in this opening passage of chapter 2, he describes how God's power has been demonstrated in their salvation. So he's prayed for them to understand it. Now he describes it. He explains it. And the way Paul does this, the way he organizes his thoughts in this passage, the way he explains how God's power is demonstrated in saving man is by teaching us about three issues, all three issues relating to man in terms of God's power in his salvation. In verses 1 through 3, Paul tells us about the depth of man's sin problem. And folks, his purpose in doing that is to say that man was so lost, so dead, so beyond any hope that only the power of God could lift him out of that. That's the point. So that's what he does in verses 1 through 3. We were once dead in our trespasses, our sins, therefore we walked as dead men, as dead women would walk according to the course of this world, according to the ways of Satan. 
according to the ways of our own flesh. Then in verses 4 through 7, Paul told us, he told us about God's provision for man in light of his sin problem. And that passage starts off with those marvelous words, but God. Meaning, but God didn't leave us dead in our sins. Instead, he intervened in our lives by regenerating us, by giving us spiritual life. He made us alive in Christ and having joined us to Jesus Christ in a very real spiritual union. That's how we were regenerated. We were given his life, but joined to him so that we now have a living relationship with the living God. And as a result, we became new creations in Christ, new creatures in Christ. We have new desires, new ambitions, new values, a whole new way of thinking. And the Lord did all of this, Paul says, in verse 7, he tells us, in order to put us on display for all the ages to come, meaning for all of eternity, as his trophies of grace and kindness to us in Christ, so all can see, including ourselves, how kind he has been to us. Now, tonight, we conclude our study of this passage by looking at the third issue that Paul teaches concerning how God's power is demonstrated in saving man. We've already seen God's power in the depth of man's sin problem and God's provision for man in light of his sin problem. Now, the apostle moves on to tell us about God's purpose for man in saving him from his sin problem. Why, why did he do all of this? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, as I said earlier, these are very well-known Bible verses, and they are important, critically important verses, because they make a very loud theological statement to us that our salvation is totally by God's grace. Apart from any good works that we might do, apart from any effort that we might have done. But in looking at these two verses, it's good to ask ourselves this question. Why does the apostle bring this up here? Why now? After all, he's just been teaching us that our salvation is all by God's power, as well as his mercy and love. He said that back in verse 4. So why does he feel compelled? Why does he feel the need now to make this strong statement? It is a very strong statement here in verses 8 and 9 that we are saved by grace. Hasn't he made the point already? Hasn't he made it very clear that it is by God's power alone that we've been regenerated and saved? So, So why now, Paul? Why bring this up? Why make this very loud statement? Here's the answer. In verses 8 and 9, Paul adds something that he has not mentioned before concerning our salvation. He tells us how we actually became Christians, how we who were chosen in eternity past, how we experienced at a point in time our salvation. He says, note this, it was through or by faith. In other words, the channel by which you experience salvation is faith. I want you to know and notice that in bringing up faith, Paul goes out of his way to stress that salvation is through faith. That's what he's stressing. And he's stressing this so that we understand we still don't deserve any credit for our salvation, because this faith, he says, is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. 
And then he drives home that truth again in verse 9, that even our faith is not a result of any work that we do, so that we have nothing to boast about. See, it appears, it appears that Paul is emphasizing the fact of grace, even in the area of faith, so that when he says that salvation is by grace through faith, he doesn't want anyone to misunderstand. He doesn't want anyone to think that because they became a Christian, note this, by believing in Jesus, that they can take any credit for their salvation, even credit for having faith. This is a very profound argument the apostle is making here. Now, that does seem, and I'm going to show you tonight why I believe this, it does seem to be the point that Paul is making so that he apparently felt the need to clarify to the Ephesians that when he says salvation is by grace through faith, he doesn't want them to misunderstand. He doesn't want them to be mistaken in their thinking that they deserve any credit for having faith, for believing the gospel. And so Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is actually Paul's clarification to the Ephesians as well as to us and every other believer about what it means to be saved by God's power and his grace. We need the same clarification. This is not simply a theological issue that was relevant in ancient days. We need that clarification too because there are many today, many Christians today who believe that they can take some credit for their salvation because they believed the gospel. In other words, their salvation, they would say, is partly God's part, but it's partly my part. That is to say, grace is God's part. Yes, salvation is a gift, but faith is my part. So I want us to look at these verses tonight. I want us to see how Paul addresses this issue of salvation being by God's grace alone, and yet... We are responsible to believe the gospel, and we did believe it. If you know Christ, you believe the gospel, but you can take no credit for believing it because salvation, all of it, is attributed to the power of God. Now, to begin with, then, as we get into our text, it's helpful to see that Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, they flow out of what Paul says in verse 7. So let me read to you Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you're saved. It flows out. He has mentioned God's kindness. He's mentioned God's grace. And also he explicitly stated in verse 5, for by grace you've been saved. And so now the apostle elaborates on what it means to be saved by grace. He mentioned it. Now he explains it. First thing we need to know is what Paul means. What does he mean exactly for by grace are you saved? Well, when the Bible speaks of God's grace, it means his unmerited favor. It means his undeserved favor. That's what grace means. It means that there is nothing in me that God is responding to to save me. My salvation, your salvation is totally undeserved because we have no merit by which God could save us. There's nothing in us that God would respond to and say, this is why I'm saving this person because of of them. Now, even if you didn't know that this was the definition of the term grace, you would still see that this is what, what it means because this concept of God's grace being his unmerited favor is written 
across the pages of the Bible. In fact, that's the whole point to what Paul has been teaching us in the verses that have led up to this, verses 8 and 9. Just look at how Paul describes us in verses 1 through 3. Go, go back and look at this. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Do you think that we deserve salvation? Even if you didn't know the definition of of grace, how could you look at those verses and say there is something in me that deserves salvation? One Bible teacher put it this way. He says, there's, there's not a more appalling description possible than that, these verses that I've just read to you. You cannot imagine a worse state than that. Does such a creature deserve anything? Has such a creature any right at all in the presence of God? Can he come forward with a plea or with a demand? The whole point of the apostles to say that such a creature deserves nothing at the hands of God but retribution. But listen, God's grace is not only taught here in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9 in this passage. It's taught throughout the New Testament. It's taught throughout the Old Testament as well. But in the New Testament, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is explaining about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how our Lord appeared to various people after he was raised from the dead. And then Paul states how Jesus appeared to him. Starting in verse 8, he says, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But notice this. Now, he speaks about how, how wicked he is. And then he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Paul is using grace to speak of God's undeserved favor. He says, here's, here's the way I was. I, I was a blasphemer. I murdered people. I hated the Lord. I hated his church. And yet I am what I am by the grace of God. Undeserved favor. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is making his case that God is not through with, with Israel. And he makes the point that in every generation, there is a remnant of Jewish believers who have been chosen, who have been the recipients of God's grace. There may not always be a lot, but in every generation, there are Jewish believers. And he says this in Romans 11, verses 5 and 6. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time, meaning in his day, a remnant according to God's gracious choice. He means Jewish believers. And then he explains, but if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. He's saying, look, if, if salvation is by works, then it's no longer grace. Once again, he's defining for us that grace means undeserved favor. Not anything that we deserve or, or do. And then in Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 3, the apostle writes, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. 
And mercy here is used just as grace would be used. By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, now watch this, here's how he explains it. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We once were were so bad, we were like this. But now we are justified by grace. Once again, undeserved favor. Romans 5, 8 doesn't use the word grace, but the concept is there. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Folks, that's grace. So, Paul says, for by grace, by God's undeserved favor, you have been saved. So then we have to ask another question. What does he mean by saved? We use those terms a lot, salvation, saved. What exactly does it mean to be saved? Well, In essence, it means that God has delivered us. He's rescued us from what? From death, from the bondage of sin, our own sin, from his wrath, his wrath of eternal judgment. That's what we deserve. That's precisely why Paul says that we were saved by grace because we have been delivered. We have been rescued by God's kindness from what we rightfully deserve, which is condemnation forever and ever. But notice as Paul continues describing how we were saved, he says this. For by grace you have been saved, and here's very significant words, through faith. Yes, it's God's grace that has saved you, but he saved you through the means or the instrument of faith. Now, as I said earlier, some have looked at this and concluded that what Paul is actually teaching here is that grace is God's part In our salvation, they wouldn't argue that. And faith, they say, is our part in salvation. Now, it's true that we are responsible to have faith, and we are responsible to believe the gospel, and that faith in Christ is something that is our activity. It's really not God's activity, since God doesn't do the believing for us. We believe. We believe. In fact, if you look back at Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 13, Paul alluded to this when he said, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed. Then he says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. But when you heard the gospel, you believed. However, having said that, it is absolutely wrong to conclude by Paul's statement about faith that he's teaching that it is your belief in Christ, your faith that saves you. That is an important distinction. You have been saved by grace. You have not been saved by your faith. When the Coast Guard saves a boater from a hurricane, the helicopter, amazing as it is, gets no credit. The basket and winch, they get no credit either. But the crew doing the heroic work using those devices, they deserve the credit. So it is with our salvation. We are saved by grace through the use of the faith that God provides us. He does the work, makes the plans, makes the sacrifice, and gives all that is needed. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're glad you could join us today for another lesson in Pastor Steve's series on the power of God in salvation. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported ministry of Lakeside. If you'd like to know more about Lakeside and their other ministries, visit their website, lakesidechapel.com. 
One other major ministry at Lakeside is their school, where they wrap a solid academic program in a biblical worldview. Find out more at lakesidechristianschool.org. I mentioned that we are listener-supported. While much of the work at First by Verse is done by volunteers, there are still costs involved. We are so very grateful for the generous listeners whose gifts cover those costs. If First by Verse has blessed you, maybe helped you grow in your faith, would you prayerfully consider helping to cover some of those expenses? We have a guide to giving on our website, versebyverseradio.org. We have a special page there for explaining our beliefs about giving, and you'll also find a link that will make it easy to give online. The web address, once more, is versebyverseradio.org. Oh, and while you're there, feel free to take advantage of the free audio downloads on our message archive page. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So says Hebrews 11.6. And as we read that chapter about the heroes of the faith, we find sentence after sentence beginning with, By faith. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken up. By faith, Noah built an ark. Abraham went out. Sarah had a baby. And so on. We admire those people who exhibited such great faith. We admire people today as well who have great faith. But who really should get the credit? This is Jerry Peterson. On behalf of Pastor Steve Kreloff and all the others here at Verse by Verse, I invite you back for the next broadcast. Pastor Steve will conclude this series about the power of God in salvation, and we'll give credit where credit is due. call from heaven said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. But now I know. Question. In your defining moment, does God know? Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTB. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.